My name's Tyler Johnson, and I am one of the pastors here. So we are in our series, Countercultural Convictions. We are going to spend the bulk of our time in 2 Timothy chapter 3. So that's towards the end of the Bible. Um, I've said this before, I'll say it again. Don't ever be scared to use your table of contents in the Bible or just use Google. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and you can get there. Uh, this series, Countercultural Convictions, is kind of driven by a verse in the book of Romans. It's the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 2, where the Apostle Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Uh, this statement, do not be conformed to this world, is in a paraphrase translated, do not be pressed into the mold of the world. It connotates this reality that there are thoughts and ideas that are out there that most of the time subconsciously take us captive. Now that sounds like strong language, but it's true, and we get formed into the mold of the world and taken down deceitful paths of lies. And so Paul is saying, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. If you follow Paul's argument, it really is be conformed, uh, I'm sorry, be transformed by the renewal of your mind through the word of God. And then he says that by testing, by living in the world, real world, testing truth from air according to the word of God, you would discern what is the will of God. That's a phrase that you hear all the time. I want to know God's will for my life. If there's a God, I want to know his will for my life. And then this idea of you'll know what is the will of God, what is good. That's a big question in our culture, like what's good and not good, what's acceptable and not acceptable, and then ultimately what is perfect. So that's the idea, but the notion of this is that when culture seeks to form you into its mold, and he's saying don't do that, the don't do that is counter-cultural and has been for all times and all places throughout decades and centuries when these passages come to us is that the world will seek to press us into the mold, but we have convictions when we hear the word of God that are counter to the way culture is moving. Hence the title of our series, Countercultural Convictions. We started with love because God is love and all of his instruction is given to us through love. So in 1 Timothy, God is speaking through the Apostle Paul to Timothy, and he says that the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, a sound mind, and a good conscience, or the aim of our charge is love. So the intention and desire throughout all of the scriptures, the sacred scriptures, the Bible, and through this series is love. And then we see love embodied coming to us in human form in Jesus. So week one was love, week two was Jesus. This week is the word of God, the Bible, and we are going to talk about it from 2 Timothy chapter 3. The next two weeks will be on gender and sexuality. So if you're in here and you bring kids in with you and that just the idea of those topics frighten you a little bit, we're going to try to speak pretty directly uh, towards gender and sexuality. And if you'd rather, we have an incredible children's ministry, birth through sixth grade, that's available to you at all three services. So before we get in this morning, uh, let's pray. Father, we come before you and ask you for your Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that opens our eyes to the wonders of your word, 
the Holy Spirit that even guides us as we pray to know you deeper. God, we pray that you would guide us into truth, Lord. Your word is truth. I pray this morning that those who are here um, just feeling despondent and confused and dark, that God, your word would comfort them in their afflictions. But God, for so many of us that are sitting in here, um, that just kind of overlook your word or just give it a simple nod, God, I pray that your word would afflict those of us who are too comfortable. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So yesterday, uh, my 12-year-old son, Yale, uh, both my boys are really into baseball, but my 12-year-old son, Yale, his coach uh, was for over a decade a coach in the bullpen with the Oakland Athletics. Well, now he's coaching 12U baseball and had an opportunity, and he wrote us on this little app called um, Team Snap, or it's something like that. Well, no, we use WhatsApp, I think, for this communication. So WhatsApp, he said, hey, practice isn't just going to be at a normal field. We're going to actually go to Hohokam Park. Now, some of you that have been around Phoenix a long time know that Hohokam used to be the Cubs facility, but when the Cubs built their new facility off the 101 and 202, the A's moved to Hohokam Park. So it's this historic place. He said the big league team will be hitting there because they don't have a home game. Which, by the way, just to show evidence of God in the world, the fact that spring training is in Arizona is the evidence of God. <laughs> like, it is just such a gift. It is a beautiful thing. So, but they were having a visiting game, so he said, come over, the big league team will be hitting. We want to bring the kids on the field, and there'll be nobody else in the stands because they're just essentially getting ready, and then they'll get on a bus and drive over. So we got there. We drive down. They wait to get the whole team. We walk in, and the team's hitting. And the most impressive part of the whole thing was three of arguably their top players. So Marcus Simeon, uh, Chris, geez, my, my mind is just going blank right now. Matt Chapman and Chris Davis. Uh, all three came over uninitiated to talk to the kids. So the kids are sitting right behind. And the first one was Marcus Simeon. This is a picture of him talking to the boys. My son Yale's right up there in front. And when Marcus Simeon came over, he's like, how old are you guys? 12 years old. And he begins to talk to me. He said, are you watching? And they said, yes, we're watching. He said, no, no, no. Are you really watching? He said, what did I do in the first round of BP? Now, if you're not educated in baseball, BP means batting practice. So he said in the first round, because they take multiple rounds, what was I doing? And he said, I was taking all the balls to the opposite field. So he's a right-handed hitter. He was hitting them all this way. And he said, it wasn't just to train myself to hit the ball to the opposite field, but I'm trying to keep my body sequence. So if you golf, you know you can come off like this. You don't want to come off. So he's just training his body to stay. And then over time with the rounds, he'll just kind of move through the field. And then by the end, they're hitting balls like to the moon. And he said, did you see it? And I'm sitting there the whole time like, this is incredible. And all the parents are around like, these kids don't know how good they have it. They don't know how good they have it, which is true. But I sat there like, this guy was an all major league baseball player last year. There's the all MLB team. And I'm like, he takes enough care for 12-year-old kids, not just to talk to them, but they're getting hitting lessons from Marcus Simeon. So now Matt Chapman, step up, he's an all-star, and he comes over next. And this is a picture of my son Yale with Matt Chapman yesterday. And Matt Chapman's talking to him, talking to him about baseball. But when I left, I don't know if you know this, my father's a, a very prominent amateur baseball coach. I called my dad and I said, Dad, I cannot believe that these guys who are preparing in spring training, not just that they said hi, that would have been cool, or that they signed an autograph, but they took enough interest in the kids and cared enough that they spoke to them even to the level of giving them hitting instructions. And my dad as well was absolutely blown away. And I thought that's what stuck with me all night. But then I'm preparing this message 
And thinking about this moment reminded me of when Paul at the beginning of the book of Romans is speaking to the Jews. Now the Jews are the chosen people of God and he's speaking to them about them being in sin entirely and completely just like the Gentiles are. And he knows that they're then gonna say, when he's saying, you're sinners just like the Gentiles, they say, well, what advantage then is it to be a Jew? Right, if we're just like the Gentiles, what advantage is it to be a Jew? And here's Paul's answer. Much in every way, for you've been given the oracles of God. You've been given the words of God. So this moment, a month from now or three weeks from now, when Yale says, what advantage is it to be a halo? I can go, dude, being a halo got you the words, the hitting instruction of Marcus Simeon. That's what Paul's saying. He's going, what advantage? You've been given the words of God. Will you go back to the picture of Marcus Simeon just for a minute when he's talking? These kids, the one before that, this is where he's giving hitting instructions. And you see, he kind of, he's there and he ended up like moving up closer to the kids and he's speaking to them. The only reason he's speaking to them is he knows what it was to be 12. And he's speaking words of baseball life. Now, God decided to come near to us. God decided to come near to us and speak to us words of life, not just for baseball, right? But words of life. In preparing uh, this message, I have to be honest, it was pretty emotional for me um, because I started thinking about the word of God and the personal nature of the word of God. I came to faith um, in Colorado prior to any of the recruiting happening that brought me to ASU to play baseball. And my encounter with God really was like God breathing life into me. It wasn't this moment. I had grown up in a home. We were not Christians. I went to church maybe two to three times uh, every year. It was nothing real at all. But something happened to me my junior year of high school that was literally like God going, and breathing life into me. It was never this moment of, you know what, now I need to change my life and I'm gonna be a church kid. Like that would have been the last decision I would have made. But it was this moment and then I get recruited, I tell people all the time, I chose ASU because ASU baseball is a prominent program. I did, there was no God in my decision at all. So I come to ASU, they make me a catcher and all of these things in my life just begin to go away. I'm no longer good in changing position. I'm not around my friends. I have an incredible relationship with my family. I'm not around my family. And I remember this one night so vividly. So during this time, I am just reading the Bible, like just reading the Bible and reading the Bible. And I don't know how to say it. it again, it wasn't this moment to say, I want to be really spiritual. It was, I was really lonely and really confused and something had breathed into me that I just kept going to the Bible. And there was gobs of it that I was like, ah, oh, this doesn't make any sense. I have no idea what this is. But I remember this one night, things had gotten really, really hard and I'm sitting on my floor and I called one of my best friends who was at Texas Tech at the time. He ended up being a freshman All-American. So things are going great for him. Things aren't going great for me. And I am just weeping. And I'm weeping and my Bible's on the floor with me. And I say to him, I said, man, I don't care if I play another day of baseball again as long as I live. I want to know Jesus. I want to know Jesus. And what I was encountering is this reality in Hebrews 4, chapter 12, that the word of God is living and active. 
The author of Hebrews says it's living and active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. So hear that, it's living and it's active. What was happening in me was living. It was so real and it was acting. It wasn't just alive, it was working. And he said, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, the word of God. It's so sharp that it can divide bone from marrow. And then the statement says, it judges the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And I'm sitting there this whole time, and when I said to him, I want to know Jesus, it was this reality that it was the scriptures, the sacred scriptures, the Bible, that was leading me to Jesus. And this has been said, now I know some things, but Martin Luther and John Calvin, these historic heroes of the faith, both made a statement that Christ, the living Christ, the resurrected Jesus, comes to us in all of God's power clothed in the scriptures. That when you sit in the midst of the Bible, in all of its living and active reality, in all of its authority fundamentally, even when you're massively confused and it feels like nothing is happening, God through his spirit is working. This word is a living word. And this is what's happening to me. I mean, folks, I didn't do, if you're around the church, I didn't do a wanna. I had never been around much Sunday school. It was me opening the Bible because God had breathed in me and I began to work this reality, but the scriptures were driving me to Jesus. And then about a year later, um, I'm confused again and I say to this guy, hey, I think I need to find a church. I had been going to church, but it was just all over the place. And this guy says to me, I'll send you to a church you'll never leave. And I show up here in 1997 and Tom Schrader's preaching the word of God from the pulpit. And I remember thinking to myself as a student athlete, this is crazy. This is like all in one, right? It's like you're getting, because people were telling me, be in a small group, be in a Bible study, go to church on Sunday, whatever. I'm like, I'm getting like a Bible study and church all in one. This is unbelievable. He's just teaching the word of God. And at that moment, the word of God is coming alive again in me. And I'm just going, I, this is my church. I can't leave this place. This fundamentally is my church. And then I begin to encounter people. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, the amazing part about encountering people that's so essential to having the word of God take root, be birthed, and come to fruition in your life is people that say what the book of James says, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of it. When you're around people that seek to do the word, things happen. So in 2 Timothy chapter 3, in verse 10, Paul says this to Timothy, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Now, from that passage, one place that Timothy clearly learned it is Paul. But at the beginning of this letter in 2 Timothy, 
There's somebody else, a couple others, that he also learned it from. It says, as I remember your tears, Paul's saying, I remember, Timothy, your tears. I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells also in you. So this man who said to me, come, I'll send you to a church you'll never leave, I begin to be benefited. I've been benefited by my personal engagement in the scriptures that allows me to sit on the floor of this functional dorm room, weeping in all sincerity, right? A Division I Arizona State baseball player, I wasn't very good, so don't get super impressed, right? But sitting there weeping, going, I don't care if I do this another day in my life. I want to know Jesus. Then I come to a place that's unapologetically preaching the scriptures. Then, by God's so design, the man that's up there preaching, I meet his second daughter. And in meeting his second daughter, who became my wife, I get around the family. And one of the things I started saying to Haley, which is my wife, is your family is unbelievably fun. Like, I love being around them, but they really believe this stuff like for real believe it, are actually trying to live it out. And then I'm married to Haley and I'd go back to Tom and Susan and say to them often, I reap the benefits of how Haley was raised every single day. Now, when we go back to how they were raised, it was very normal. It wasn't anything unlike so much of your homes. It wasn't this pristine, perfect Christian home. It was just as they went along, they pointed to the word of God. In the midst of substantial trial, as things came on, they pointed to the Word of God. And then I got surrounded here by other people like Tim Mon and Neil Pitchell and Jerry Smith and Paul Artino and women uh, around consistently like Susan Miller and Faith Herrera and so many other people, Trace Barclay, and I could go on and on and on, who are just normal everyday people seeking to listen to what God says and put it into practice. And the word of God is getting in me. And I'm like, this is alive and it's active. It's shaping me. And I remember vividly this moment where I'm now in the midst of this and God is doing things in me. I don't know how to explain it to you. If you're sitting in this room and you don't believe this, I'm telling you, I grew up as an utter unbeliever. Like I have as many stories to match the stories that you have. Something starts happening in me and it's happening fundamentally through the Bible. This living word of God. Like God is hovering above it, around it, underneath it, and then in the midst of it. And it's in many ways like exploding in me. Not as an immediate change, but it's exploding in me. I remember coming in one day and we sang this song. This is like the year 2000, maybe 2001. And it was a song made famous by Michael W. Smith. It's called Ancient Words. And I remember sitting at the very front of the chapel, which now the students are in, and we start singing these lyrics. And the lyrics say this, holy words, long preserved for our walk in this world. They resound with God's own heart. Oh, let the ancient words impart. Then we keep singing, words of life, words of hope. Give us strength and help us cope. In this world where air we roam, ancient words will guide us home. Now leave that there for a minute. I, at this point, I'm like starting to cry because as I'm speaking this reality, and I know what it's talking about, it's talking about the sacred scriptures. The sacred scriptures here that in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says this to Timothy, 
and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. And I'm singing these ancient words, sacred words, that have made me and are making me, is a better way to say it, wise to salvation. And I'm literally speaking this. And what's so interesting about this section, words of life, words of hope, give us strength, help us cope. I don't right now want to be manipulative, but if there's a moment and you saw an advertisement right now and you knew it was true and all it said, you don't even know what it is, it'll help you cope, right? You're like, yes, right? Things are sold all the time from that. And I'm going through these really dark moments. Uh, just, I didn't do this in the first hour, but I was reminded of when Jesus is being tempted in the desert and the devil's trying to get him to do something and Jesus says no. Jesus is really hungry and he offers him bread. And Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8 and he says, man will not live by bread alone, but, I, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now here's what I want you to hear. Listen to me really close. When you're living in the midst of moments when you're tempted and want to get to a point where you need strength, you need hope, you need a reality to cope. This is like the Jews felt when they were taken off into the wilderness. How much of our lives feels like these wilderness moments where we're confused, where things are dark, where we're hungry, either literally or physically or spiritually, and we don't know what is there. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, it says... God is saying, I've given you oracles. I've given you a commandment. He says, the whole commandment that I commanded you today, you shall be careful to do. Now, let me just say this about the word of God. The word of God isn't just something that you can tip your hat to and say it's authoritative. You have to engage it. And then your engagement can't just be reading. It has to be engagement to the point, like James says, that we are not just hearers, but we're doers. As we begin in simple form, even when you feel massively imperfect, even when you feel like it's not enough, you just go, I'm just going to take the next baby step in trying to do what God says. He says, the whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and you may multiply and go on and possess the land the Lord swore to give your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way. Now listen to me. I know it's, this isn't on the screen. Listen. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart. Now, here's what I've gotten so emotional preparing this message. Is this reality when I look back at my life and specifically I'm looking at it in preparing this message through the Bible and its authority. Is this truth that the whole way the Lord has led me, as he did the Israelites these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart. Remember Hebrews 4? It judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Whether you would keep his commandments or not, and he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus knew that. That's why when times are massively challenging and trying, when he's being tempted by the devil, he recites that verse back to the devil. 
Listen, you can try to tempt me of different ways to find hope, of different ways to get strength, to help us cope. But in this world where we roam, I'm going to say, I'm not going to live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, let me stop. We've spoken about the power of God's word by the reality that it's living and active, has the transforming power to it. But think about how intimate it is. That picture of Marcus Simeon, a big league baseball player talking to 12-year-olds, the God of the universe. Folks, hear this. The God of the universe who spoke the world into existence. He breathed it into existence, spoke it. There wasn't light and now there's light. There wasn't animals and now there's animals. There weren't humans and now there's male and female. He speaks the world into existence and then Hebrews chapter one and Colossians chapter one says it doesn't just get spoken into existence, but it's upheld by the word of his power. The world was created and holds together by God's powerful word. And now he decides to speak it to us, that in the reality of the amazing nature of God's creation, the beautiful things that you see, and in the midst of the darkness of our sin and disobedience against God, he speaks to us words of life. He gives us directives. As the song we sang and we'll sing again, it's a banner over us at all time, and it charts our course. It speaks to us, the God of the universe, not Marcus Simeon from the Oakland days. The God of the universe is speaking to us intimately. I go on to sing this song. And the next verse says this, ancient words ever true, and I lose it at this line. I remember this literally like it was yesterday, changing me and changing you. And I'm singing these songs, I'm like, this is true, God is changing me. God is changing the desires of my heart. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting with people like if, if the Psalms say delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart, why is he not giving me the desires of my heart? And this man said to me, if it isn't God's will, he'll change the desires of your heart. And I'm speaking, I'm like, God is changing me. And I'm around people and I'm hearing Tom Schrader and the teachers at the time say this phrase, changed lives, change lives. And I'm being changed by people whose lives have been changed by the scriptures, by the loving words of God that are words of life being spoken into people. And I am being changed. I'm singing this weeping. And I remember sitting by a friend of mine, changing me <clears throat> and changing you. And we're singing this before the word of God is going to be preached. And I remember screaming, we have come. God, I'm coming with an open heart. Let your ancient words impart. Because this is the way. This is truth. This is life. Give me these words. Holy words of our faith handed down to this age came to us through sacrifice. Now, the truth of the Bible when you study history is we don't have these words. There's so often now that we look at these. Eugene Peterson said one of our biggest challenges is that we begin to view this not as living words, but as ink words. It's just ink on a page. These words that we hold in our hands have come to us through sacrifice. If you study the reality of how much the Bible being translated has been resisted throughout the ages, it will inspire you. And you have to ask, why is it resisted so much? Why do people not want these words there? What is this ultimately? 
because they're words of life and there's a culture that's moving against it that doesn't want people to have it. And yet people so love the world because they followed a God who so loved the world that they sacrificed themselves. People have been killed for the Bible to be put in the hands of other people. And ultimately that we would know the ultimate word of God. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God, right? The word was God and the word is God, was Jesus comes to us, robed in the scriptures through sacrifice. And then the statement, oh, heed the faithful words of Christ. This is what Paul is speaking to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. And how from childhood, Timothy, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then he says this, all scripture is breathed out by God. And I'm telling you, I, <clears throat> I want you to know this. I, I'm, when I get emotional right now, I know there's tons of people in here that could say he's getting emotional because he misses Tom, which I do. I am not emotional in, in these moments because I miss Tom. I'm emotional because God put me in a place that guarded the de good deposit of the gospel and the scriptures and gave it to me and my life has changed and is changing. That I encountered through this church and through my personal devotion with the Bible and through it being preached, the living Christ, the one who I'm made by and for, I found the reality of what hope really is in the midst of darkness. I sat with my wife when her mother was passing away and knew the ability to go to Thessalonians and look at her and say, grieve. But like Paul said to the Thessalonians, we don't grieve as those who are without hope. Because we will be with God face to face and we will be reunited with our family who believes. That's life-giving scripture. And I remember... Over and over, Tom referring to this verse, reading this verse, all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And I, thank God, I'm not saying this because I'm now a pastor at this church, that I've been here and people have been faithful, like true friends, like the Proverbs say, faithful are the wounds of a friend to use the word of God to correct and reprove me. That the word of God isn't just there to comfort me when I'm afflicted, but it's also there to afflict me when I'm too comfortable. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And there is no friend closer than the God of the universe who's breathing his words to us to instruct us, to correct us, to reprove us, to train us in what is right. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Folks, this is a word with divine authority. Divine authority. We live in a world where everybody's claiming authority. Everybody, it trains us in righteousness, the verse just before. And here's what I know. I thank God that my platform through social media or my platform anywhere else doesn't have authority. You don't want my authority. I promise you, right? I'm as confused and screwed up as everybody else in there. And I can, I'm going to tell you this. Don't be offended. I don't want your authority in my life as the ultimate authority. 
There may be moments where I work for you or wherever and there's authority given there. There may be moments where you articulate to me wisdom, but authority, if there's an ultimate authority in our life, I want it to be God's authority. Because God actually has the power to do something with it and he's actually good. I'm not. <laughs> he actually knows what's right. He knows the course. And so the word of God, like Psalm 19 says, and has become for me a light unto my path, a lamp to my feet. It doesn't tell me 2,000 miles out there, but it tells me the next steps. Because we are here and the church throughout the ages is willing to surrender and say, God is authoritative, therefore his word sits above any recent publication, any master philosopher. His word of God sits above the grandest of experts, dead or alive, because it's God's word. It's breathed by God himself, and he has the power to speak the world into existence, to uphold it by the word of his power, and to speak life into my dead soul that I might come alive to show me this is the way, this is the truth, this is the life. And at those moments, I'm being honest with you, I've had moments where I'm like, God, why are you so harsh? And he says to me, I love you. Like any good father would, would say, no, that's not the way. No, that's not truth. No, Tyler, that's not life. These are life-giving words. All scripture, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable, useful, life-giving for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness that we may be competent and equipped for whatever comes, for every good work. I'm going to ask you all to stand up just before we sing this hymn, A Word of God Incarnate. And I'm going to read that passage one more time, and then we're going to read it together, and then we're going to sing. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now let's read this together. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work.